0: Okay, um, very good. Um, it is a story that, uh, a movie that my family and I, we didn't see it until it came out on DVD, because we thought, eh, it'll be okay, but, you know, maybe not $10 a person worthy uh, of going to the movie theater. And so um, after we saw it, you know, kind of did that family thing, what'd you think? My wife was like, well, it was sad, you know, overall sad, but a good movie, and if you haven't seen it, it's one you might want to check out. But I want to show you this uh, brief video clip that kind of sets up what we're going to talk about today. The movie was nominated for 5 Academy Awards, including Best Picture, ended up winning the one for Best Animated Picture that year. And if you've seen the movie, you know what happens next. You know that Carl decides to go to Paradise Falls in his house, and so he makes a balloon, helium balloon house and makes it fly and does all that stuff. And one of the reasons he does that is because it's what he wanted. He and Ellie wanted to do. And so to honor his wife that he loved so dearly. He did that, you know, he, he did the whole balloon thing and, and uh, he, he started that trip. It's something that together they wanted to do, they planned to do, they desired to do it, but, but as so often happens in life, life got in the way, right? Things happened and it didn't allow them to do those things that they wanted to do. And it's, it's true in relationships as well. There are certain things we want to have happen in relationships. There are certain things we want to see in our relationships. The problem is, oftentimes, life happens. And, and things just happen that, that keep us from having the relationships that we desire to have. Maybe you've heard the quote, For all sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are what might have been. Have you heard that before? The saddest are what might have been. And I would venture to say that I'm not the only person here in this room this morning that does not wanna look back on the most significant relationships in my life and have a lot of what should have been or what could have been or the things that I had hoped would happen. Uh, Today, we're kicking off our four-week series titled Love That Lasts. And and it's not just a series about marriage, okay? It's not just about uh, the relationship with your spouse. in this series, what we're gonna try to do is to together try to discover what it means to have a love that lasts in our most important relationships. Uh, certainly the relationship we have with our spouse, but also the relationship that we have with our parents, with our siblings, with our friends, with other family members, even with our neighbors, people that we come in contact with, people that are important to us. What do we do about those relationships so that as we grow and as we live longer, those relationships get deeper and more meaningful. And at the end of our life, at the end of our time together, those relationships are even better than they were at the beginning. How do we get a love that lasts? Um, each week, we're going to examine four different aspects, four different things to look at, but they're not four steps to a better relationship, okay? This is not you do these four things and you're gonna have a great relationship. It's not they don't build on each other as if you can arrive, you know, just simply do these and woo. No, it's, it's just some practical advice on things that we need to do, not only in our relationship with each other, But these same things ultimately apply to our relationship with God, because that is the most important relationship that we have. And as we discover these things together, if we will implement and practice and and do these things, all of our relationships will benefit. We will be so much better off in our relationships. So to get started, I want to suggest that there are three different types of relationships that each one of us have, and you grab your bulletin and you can fill in these blanks as we go, and and as I mention these different groups, I invite you just to kind of jot down a few people's names that come to mind uh, with these three different types of relationships. The first one is this, we have relationships that are struggling, and we really wish it would change. They're struggling, and you really wish it would change. Who comes to mind? Who comes to your mind? Who is it that, you know what, you've got a relationship, but it's just not good. It's fragmented. It's distant. And you, you really wish that could change. You wish it could be better than it is. That's the first type. The second type of a relationship that each one of us have is, is a good relationship, but it could be better. It's going well. Things are okay. Um, it, it's progressing, and things are, you know, there's not anything majorly wrong, but it's just, it's just not all it could be. And you just wish it could be better. There's just something missing in your relationship. That's another type. The third type of relationship that we have is one that is great. And we really desire to keep it that way. Things are just going swimmingly. It's one of those, you know, you experience that usually high school, college, your best friends, you'll be best friends forever. And nothing will ever come between us. And, and that's the type of thing. It's just going so well that... You just don't want anything to ever change. You want it to be that way always and forever. And and I'm sure there's other types of relationships that we have, but those are three major categories. And I would venture to say that each one of us have people that, that fit in each of those different categories. And so what we're going to do today is, in light of that, the first thing I want to suggest that we need to do is to be all there. And what do I mean by that? Well, the first question that I would like for you to answer is, how many of you are here this morning? Yes, you are in here this morning. Very good. You all passed. Some of you passed with flying colors with that. But how many of you are really here? How many, don't raise your hands, okay? Just hang with me here for a second. How many of you are really in this room being all here right now? Not everyone. I, I know this because I said in audience as well, as, as well, we're thinking about other things. We're thinking about the things that happened last night. We're thinking about what we have to do later today. We're thinking about, great, I finally come to church. And maybe you're here for the first time. You're like, he's going to talk about relationships, anything other than relationships. Maybe if you talk about money, that would be better than talking about relationships. I just don't want to hear this right now. You may be thinking, this doesn't apply to me. This this is not a good thing for me to listen to today. W- when will he be done? Right? And mentally. You're somewhere else. You're here physically, but you're somewhere else mentally or emotionally. You're thinking about other things. I can remember that this happens with me often. Um, usually it happens with Cale, and I'm going to pick on him because he's not in here to defend himself. But um, with Cale, it happens most often. Um, I need his attention, and he's doing something else. And oftentimes I have to get him to stop what he's doing and look at me so that we can communicate so that we can have that conversation that we need to have. Guys, it's one of those reasons why if you're having a conversation with your wife, don't have the TV going in the background. It's not a positive thing, okay? Don't make her come over and grab you by the cheeks and go, listen to me, right? We need to be all there whenever we're in conversation with people. I can remember as a kid going to my grandmother and grandfather's house, just a quarter mile up the road, and anytime we would have a meal together, uh, even though my grandmother never said, we all have to be all here, she took steps to make sure we were all there. She made sure that the TV was off, the radio was off, no one had a newspaper or a magazine or a book or anything. We didn't have cell phones at that point. So, you know, she made sure that when we were at the table, we were all at the table, and we were engaged in the conversation. Uh, one family shared with me that what they do as they get ready to eat, as they sit down and they pass around a basket and they're not taking up an offering, what they're doing is they're collecting cell phones and, uh, you know, mp3 players and anything like that, and they put it in the basket, they take the basket and they put it in another room, the other end of the house, and what they do then is they engage in conversation so they can be all there together. It's not a bad idea if this is a problem for you being all there. It's not easy to be all there all the time, is it? I mean, it's not easy to be somewhere physically and be there mentally and emotionally as well. Now, I have to tell you, this is something I struggle with. Michelle can tell you I struggle with this. I struggled with this before I had a smartphone, but now that I have a smartphone, you know, I can, I can surf the web, I can send text, I can tweet, not that I do that very well, but you can, you know, you can check what's going on, read, you check the scores, because you just got to know what's going on, right? And even though I have a smartphone, I'm becoming dumb relationally, Right? And it's the way it works whenever we're not all there. Here's what I want you to hear. And I know you know this, but I want you to understand, and hopefully this will drive home the point. The problem is that when we're somewhere physically, but we're not there personally or emotionally or relationally, it does nothing to make us better relationally. It actually hurts us. And we need to get better at being all there in our relationships with each other, in our relationship with God, all the time. I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. That's where we're going to look at a a brief passage of Scripture this morning. And in Luke chapter 10, we find Jesus uh, visiting the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he was friends with them, and, and he's traveling through to Jerusalem, and he stops in to see them. And uh, we have an account there beginning in verse 38 of what happens. It says this, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And I find it interesting that that Mary stops and she spends her time at Jesus' feet listening to what Jesus has to say. Meanwhile, Martha is in the kitchen and she is distracted by all the things that needed to be done. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to point out. What does this word distracted mean? Well, it doesn't mean that she has ADD like Doug, where his brain's all over the place. It it means that she was, uh, as the original language says, distracted means pulled or dragged away. She was pulled or dragged away. the, the, the implication here is that she wanted to be with Jesus, and she wanted to be where Mary was, listening to Jesus. That was her intent. That's what she desired to do, but she allowed herself to be dragged away by the preparations, by the other things that needed to be done. Now, the question is this. Who is saying that these preparations had to be made? You know, was Jesus this rock star coming in and saying, I can have nothing other than red M&Ms and it has to be orange Gatorade? You know, is that what Jesus was doing? No, he, he didn't have those demands. Was, was it such a thing that Lazarus was saying, all right, sis, get in the kitchen? We don't have any indication of that. What was it that caused her to think that it had to be done and had to be done right now? Maybe it was the voice of of cultural expectation. Where was Jesus the last time someone entertained? What food did they have? I have to make sure it's at least that good, right? Or... Or, or how, how do I do this? Or, or maybe she had the voice of her mother in the back of her head going, Now Martha, you have guests. You better take care of them. You have to provide for them. You have to do these things. Get busy. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was her sense of who she thought she needed to be or who she was. One of the things that I found interesting was the fact that the name Martha actually comes from the Aramaic term, which means woman of the house. She was a hostess. Maybe that's what she was known for around town. If you have to have a party thrown, you go to Martha. You have Martha tell you what to do. You have Martha give you the decorations. You have Martha, and we don't know her last name, but maybe it was Martha Stewart, and she was helping people in town throw parties. My guess is that Martha was pretty sure that, that her sister Mary, after saying hi to Jesus and after saying hi to the, to the disciples, would come and help her with the preparations that needed to be made. But Mary doesn't come. Mary doesn't help out. And so, I bet her preparations underwent what Dave Ferguson calls amplification phenomenon. And maybe you've experienced this in your own home. It goes something like this, that you are putting away the dishes out of the dishwasher, so to speak, and someone is sitting on the couch watching TV, and you're just sure that as soon as they realize that you are cleaning out the dishwasher, they will come and help, right? And so, you put away a couple dishes and they don't move. And so you go, ah. and you put away a couple more dishes and they don't move. And so you go, ah. and they still don't move. And so you get you know, a little less gentle with the plates and you bang them in a little bit more and you rattle the silverware as you put it in the drawer and you, know, you slam the drawers and the cabinets just a little bit more and you make a little bit noise thinking that surely they can hear this noise over the TV. Meanwhile, in the process, The volume of the TV just miraculously goes up as well. And and you're thinking they're going to come help, but they don't. And as I was talking to a friend of mine, he replied, Yeah, but it takes a lot of discipline to sit there on the couch. Ouch. Some of you are just getting that. That's okay. Martha is getting more and more upset with Mary because Mary's not coming to help. And the the assumption is that, that Martha goes and says something to Mary. Mary, hey, come... Are you gonna come help me? Are you going to come help me now, right? But she doesn't, and so nothing changes. And then look where Martha goes next. In verse forty, we find Martha saying, "Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me." Martha goes straight to the top, right? Go to the boss. Go to Jesus. Jesus, take care of this for me. Make sure she comes in and helps me do what I need to do. And, and I think Jesus replied with compassion and tenderness when He says, "Martha, Martha." He actually says her name twice, and the only other time in Scripture that I could find that Jesus uh, calls out to someone and says their name twice was whenever he called out to Saul when Saul, who became Paul, was on his way to Damascus, and it was to get his attention. And here, I think, it's to get, his, get her attention. Martha, Martha, Lord, don't you care? And he, says, he says Martha, and then with surgical precision, he dials in and he diagnoses her problem. You're worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will, be, it will not be taken away from her. You see, Jesus was not scolding her. Jesus was simply saying to her, listen, you're worried about all this stuff while Mary has chosen what was good. Instead, she chose what was better, and I'm not going to take that away from her. Mary made a choice, and she chose what was better. Martha made a choice, and she chose to be distracted. Is there anyone here today that that isn't a little bit like Martha? I mean, let me ask you on a very, very practical level, what keeps you from being all there in the relationships that you have? Is it the TV? Is it the newspaper? Is it your phone? Is it whatever. There's lots of things out there that that keep us from being all there. And it's not so much maybe even anything we have in our hands, but it's things we're thinking about. We're thinking about the finances. We're thinking about our schedules. We're thinking about where we have to be, when we have to be, and how we have to be there on time and really on time. Not church on time, but really on time, which means we really have to get ready when we really have to be ready, right? And, And we have all these things that even when we're somewhere physically, we are somewhere else because we're thinking about those things. What Jesus said to Martha about her distraction was what I think the same thing that Jesus says to us about ours. Mary has chosen what is better. And that word chosen is a very powerful word. And we need to understand that we have a choice to make on what we do, on how we act, on on how we live. We have a choice on whether or not we are all there. And I want to suggest two things that we have to choose to do. And these are not easy things to do. And yet I think they're important. I invite you to write these down. The first thing we must choose to do is we must choose to overcome distractions. And that's harder than it may sound because there's a lot of distractions out there that are what what we would call good distractions. Like sports. Hang with me. Sports in and of themselves are not evil. All right? But they are a distraction at times. It could be home improvement. Home improvement is not evil although sometimes it feels that way, but it can be a distraction. Maybe cleaning the house, or making plans, or doing this, whatever it is in your life, it could be a good thing, but it could also be a distraction, and you have to make a choice. There's a guy by the name of Robert Schimmel who wrote this book titled Cancer on $5 a Day, Chemo Not Included. And in this book, he writes that after being diagnosed with cancer, with terminal cancer, he decided that what he was going to do was anytime he was with his kids, he was going to turn off his cell phone, especially when he was with his kids in the car, because he didn't want to, to waste a moment on the phone when he could be talking with his children. And then he got the amazing news that the cancer was gone, and he was going to survive, and even with that news, guess what? He still turned off his phone. He still made it a practice not to have his phone on anytime he was with his children because he didn't want to be to miss a moment with them. It's not a bad idea if that's something that hits home with you. For a lot of us, it's, it's about being distracted by good things. It's about being distracted by maybe bad things, but for some of us, it's not about being distracted at all. It's just a matter of we find ourselves being way too busy, and busyness can keep us from being physically present a lot of times, right? You're just so busy, you can't get there, and then even when you do get there, you're not really there. You're thinking about other things. You're, you're worried about other things. You're thinking about what time do I have to leave to make it to my next thing, and because we put so much in our in our schedule. In our society, there's so many demands on our times, and so many pressures to do this, and that, and everything. We miss out on, on lots of things because we're not there. We feel as though we're too busy for things. We, we feel like we're too busy to do the things that would ultimately support our relationships and help them to be better. Things like sharing a meal together. Do you realize how important that is, families, to take time and share a meal together? And yet, the average American household, they just don't do it. And yet, study after study after study show how important that is. We need to share a meal together. You are so busy. We are so busy with our time that, that we don't volunteer. We don't serve together. We don't serve in communities. We don't, we don't help other people. We make it all about ourselves. We're, we're so busy that we don't participate in small groups. And, and you know we talk a lot about small groups here at PCC because they're important. Um, It's one of the things that is vital to the ministry here at the church, because if you're not plugged in and being involved in a small group, if you're not receiving support and encouragement and accountability and having people pray for you, you're not experiencing the life uh, to the full that, that God wants you to experience, and so that's why they're important here. And the reason for that is because not only is everyone who's involved in a small group stronger and better relationally, but The church is better for it, and God's kingdom is better for it. And that's why I would love to see everyone involved in a small group. They're just so important because we all need that. We weren't designed to do this alone. And we can encourage one another and strengthen one another. But too often I hear people say, you know what, Craig, I would love to be a part of a small group, but I'm just too busy. And here's what it is for me. And this is me. You make your own choice. We all have a choice to make. If I'm too busy to do the things that are going to help me relationally with other people and with God, then I am too busy and something needs to change. The distractions need to be removed. I need to make sure that I can participate in the things that are going to benefit me relationally with others and benefit me relationally with the Lord. We need to overcome distractions. That's the first thing. It's not an easy thing, but we need to try to do it. The second thing that we must choose to do is we need to choose to embrace the moment. We need to embrace the moment. There was a, an interview done a couple years ago with the uh, the group of guys that were part of the 1980 Olympic hockey team. Al Michaels was uh, interviewing them, and if you remember, I'm Al Michaels this is the guy that, that made the famous call, Do You Believe in Miracles? Yes, you know, remember that, and the whole thing, and storming the ice, and, and that whole thing. Uh, he was doing uh, this um, interview with these guys that participated in that event and the focus of the interview was on what did the coach tell you right before the gold medal game and what a lot of people know from the movie if they've seen the movie Miracle on Ice because that's what's really documented is what coach Herbrooks said before they played the Russians which was not for the gold medal that was for for the chance to play against Finland for the gold medal And so we know what he said in that one, and we don't have the exact transcript of what he said um, against the uh, right before the Finland team. They played the Finland team. But what we do know is that uh, Herb Brooks said that he knew his team was ripe for a letdown. No one expected them to get this far. No one expected them to beat the Russians. And the silver medal may have felt like enough. It may have felt like good enough. And he goes in and says something to the effect of, gentlemen, if you don't go out there and embrace this moment, and take this moment by the throat and win the gold medal, you will take this to your grave. This is your only chance to win a gold medal and if you miss it, you will not get another. And so they go out and if you know your Olympic history, they win the gold medal. And I think partly due to the credit of the coach that he told them this is it guys, this is the only chance you're going to get and they embrace the moment. And I wonder how many good things have I missed in my life because I failed to embrace the moment. It happened to me just recently, and again, I'll pick on Cale because he's not here. Cale asked me if I would help him put together this 3D puzzle that he loves to do, and I was too busy. I had other things I needed to do, and so I told him, as soon as I get done with this, buddy, I'll come back in and I'll help you with this, and so I went and did my other things, and they took a little longer than I had planned, but I finally got done and I come in. He's done. The project is done. I missed that moment, and that moment is gone, and I will never have that moment again. Were those other things important? Yeah. Is my son important? Yeah. What choice do I make? We need to choose to embrace the moment. There are moments that come and moments that go that are more significant than others. We get that, and there's moments that are very meaningful in our lives. There's one that we all can share and look back on and and remember uh, the tragedy, the horror, you know, September 11th, 2001, and and all the stuff that went along with that. And what I found in doing a little bit of reading was that in the 10 minutes from the time that the first plane hit the first tower, 10 minutes following, there were over 1,000 phone calls that were made at that point. And what, what I found is that in that moment, Life was reduced to the necessities. Life was reduced to just what was important. There was a documentary online that the CBC produced, and it showed that what people talked about were the essentials. And I want to share with you just uh, three of those uh, messages that were left with people. A woman by the name of C.C. Lyles left an answering machine message for her husband on which she said, Please tell my children I love them very much. I'm sorry, baby. I wish I could see you again. Melissa Harrington, she was newly married. She called her husband, who was in San Francisco, and left a voicemail. Sean, it's me. I just wanted you to know that I love you. A New York City Fire Department captain, Walt Hines, he actually called on his way toward the Twin Towers and left this message for his wife. Honey, things are bad. I don't know if I will make it out. I just wanted to tell you that I love you, and I love the kids. What were they focused on? Relationships. That was the most important thing. And here's what I take from that moment for me. And maybe this will help you as well. We are so fortunate to have people in our life in which we have the opportunity to be all there with them. Why don't we embrace that? Why don't we take advantage of that? Why don't we cherish those moments and spend time with them if and I don't want to over dramatize this but if today were the last time you knew you would see the person that matters most to you what would you say to them what would you share with them what would you want to make sure they knew why wait why not do that today because relationships are important and if we want to have a love that lasts for all eternity we we have to understand that it starts Today, it starts right now. We need to be all there. And, and here's, what I, here's what I think happens too often. There are two things that, that we overestimate, and one thing we underestimate. The first thing we overestimate is our past. We overestimate our past because we either live in our nostalgia about the good old days and how good things were and the glory and all that, or we live in that regret and that fear because we've failed before, and we're so afraid that that's just going to haunt us and carry us, and it paralyzes us that we are afraid to act. we overestimate our past. The other thing that we overestimate is we overestimate our future. We think that the unknown, and and we're afraid of it, and it's uncertain, and so we're afraid to do anything, and we're paralyzed by that, and we're afraid to move. Or we have these dreams of of what's going to happen, and understand it's good to have a vision, it's good to have dreams, it's good to have goals, but too often what I hear people saying is, well, someday, or when, when the kids leave, when the house is paid for, when I retire, when, and we put so much emphasis on the future that we underestimate the present. We underestimate the opportunity that we have right now, the moments we have right now. We overvalue and we undervalue. Why not value the moments where we are right now? You see, when Jesus showed up, Mary embraced the moment. She sat at Jesus' feet and she learned from him and she listened to him. And then you have Martha. And think about what Martha was missing. She was missing Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior, the Messiah. And she was frying chicken? We have to really make wise choices when it comes to our relationships. And maybe the reason you're here today It's because it's been a long time since you've ever been all there in your relationship with God. God is just kind of there and you're with him. You know, someday when I have more time, when the job's less demanding, when the kids are about, Someday. The Bible says in Psalm 64, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. You know, for some of us, what we need to do is we just need to stop. And we need to be still. And we need to embrace the moment. And be where, be where God is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And why do I think it's important that, that God says that his favor is now? Because we use that word someday way too much. We always say that someday this will happen. Someday I'll have a better relationship with my spouse or my parents or my children. Someday things will be better. Someday, someday, some, and someday. What about now? Jesus says that our salvation is not someday, it is now. That God has given it to us right now. And maybe for you, you need to embrace his salvation right now. That's the relationship that you need to work on. See, the the thing about it is, is that we don't have to wait until someday to experience Jesus. As we talked about in our last series, in our Easter series, you don't have to wait until you die to experience the resurrection that God wants to give you. You can live life right now. You can live life and live it to the full. And the only way we can truly do that is to have that relationship with Jesus. You see, these things apply in our relationship with God. We need to embrace the moment and seize those opportunities in order to relate to him and to be his child. We need to overcome those distractions, the things that keep us from doing the things that God would call us to do. Not because we have to check them off our list and not because God's keeping tabs, but we need to read our Bible and pray and fellowship and do those things because that's what's important so that we can grow in knowing him more and more and more. We need to take advantage of those opportunities so that we can be all there with Jesus and we can be all there in our relationship with him. Maybe today what you need to do is you need to stop where you are and embrace the Lord. Maybe for the first time you need to accept him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe it's time for you, like Mark did last week, to finally say, you know what? It's time for me to be obedient. It's time for me to get baptized. It's time for me to, to start doing the things that God would call me to do. Maybe what you need is somebody to pray with you because you've got a lot of those some days. You've got a lot of those should have's. And it's time to pray about those and ask for forgiveness and seek reconciliation and, and make sure your relationships can work, that you can put some of these things into practice, and and that God can work through you and help you to do things that you could never do on your own. If you need to talk to someone about what's going on, you have a decision you need to make, we invite you to make your way over to the cross.